0: And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them.
1: Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Speak to us, we pray, this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening again. Here we are about 19 or 20 Sundays after the Feast of the Trinity. Advent will start in just a few weeks, and we're following Jesus in his journey from Capernaum and Galilee down to Jerusalem. Jerusalem meant one thing for Jesus— and it wasn't more falafel, pita bread, and hummus. It was sure and certain death. And what you didn't hear in your reading is where Jesus is when the Pharisees test or tempt him. Let me read it to you. you may be, maybe you brought your Bible or maybe you have a, a phone or a device. You're, you are permitted now to look at your phone. And, and look at your Bible on your phone. But I'll read it to you. Mark 10, verse 1 says, And he left there, that was Capernaum, that's where we were last week, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he began to teach them. Where is this beyond the Jordan, through Judea? Well, do you remember at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went out to the wilderness to be baptized by whom? John the Baptist? A convenient name for one who keeps baptizing people. He went out to be baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, in this area beyond the Jordan. And what happened right after his baptism? The Spirit came came down upon him, and what did the Spirit do? It wasn't quite an inter Trinitarian high five, but the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. The same word that Mark uses here that the Pharisees are doing for him. So that's first, I want to give you the context. Secondly, this passage talks about divorce. I don't know how many of us have bear the scars of divorce, either from our own personal experience or from the experience of those close to us, say parents or aunts and uncles or whatnot. Uh, But know that I, I come to this pas- I've come to this passage with fear and trembling all week long, and I speak it to you in that same manner, wanting to proclaim what Jesus says and wanting to draw out really the nuance that Jesus gives as he's talking to the Pharisees in this moment of testing about both what Moses says, but more so about the divine intention. And here's my sermon in a sentence. Normally I don't label it because that's a little bit on the nose, if you will, but I'm going to tell you what it is so you can remember and so that we can all follow along. The hardness of heart that results from the fall does not alter God's divine intention or our need to receive his gifts. The hardness of heart that results in the fall, the hardness of heart that all of us have, from the, first, the moment we first breathe, that does not alter God's divine intention or vision, nor does it preclude us from receiving his gifts to us. Now, that sounds abstract, nebulous, maybe, long, uh, maybe sleep-inducing, but hopefully there'll be some clarity with it. But first, the hardness of heart. Now, we see that the Pharisees, in the way that they do, are inquiring of Jesus. They're testing Jesus. Now remember, where were we? We're in the area beyond the Jordan. That was called Perea. And that was an area that Herod the Tetrarch or Herod Antipas had rule and reign over. Now he was a sub-ruler for the people of Rome. But it just so happens that Herod has already had some interaction. Remember, it's not Herod the Great, but Herod Antipas or Herod the Tetrarch. He's already had some interaction with Jesus and his family because Herod is the one who married a woman named Herodias, whose daughter was Salome, And Salome did the great dance that, that Herod loved so much. And he said, you know, whatever, whatever you want, I'll give you. And she said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, why did she want the head of John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist spoke out against her mother's marriage to Herod. Back in Mark chapter 6. John the Baptist said, this is sinful. This is the epitome, and I'm not saying exactly what he said. We don't have it recorded, but he says, this is unholy. This is the epitome of adulterous. Now, why would John say that? Well, Herodias seems like a great person. Beautiful inside and out. Before she was married to Herod Antipas she was married to Philip. Remember Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus is way up north, talking about, and Peter says, you are the Christ. All that stuff. Well, Philip just happened to be whose brother? Herod's brother. Half-brother, mind you. But still, they're related. And so John the Baptist was calling a timeout saying, hey, I understand, you know, you've got, you've got a ladder to climb, Herodias, but you cannot be married to your half-brother's Wife, And so what happens? John the Baptist is killed for speaking this. Now, bearing all that in mind, that's like, you know, previously on the West Wing, you had to hear all that to hear this part. The Pharisees test him. What do they test him about? Ooh. It's a hot button issue, not just of the day, but a hot button issue of the region. And they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so Jesus turns the table on them and says, well, what did Moses command you? And they spout off the the command from Deuteronomy 24. Moses says it was lawful to give them a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Remember what St. Paul says in Galatians 3 and 4 when he's talking about the fullness of time, how God came to us born of a woman, born under the law. Do you remember how he speaks of the law? What does he say about the law? He says it's our guardian or our custodian until the fullness of time, until the time when God incarnate, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, an eternal word would come to us. And so the law was our custodian. I love that word. Maybe you think of the closet and the, you know, the, the mop and all that stuff. But the custodian, think of it as the guardian. The one who's protecting until some decisive moment happens when those who are guarded by the custodian can live in fullness and abundance. And so Jesus says, it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses had to give you this. In other words, the law had to put up boundaries because of sinful weakness and human brokenness. We can all attest to that, can we not? That we have, all have a certain hardness of heart even after receiving Christ and receiving the kingdom of God, which we'll talk about in a second, receiving, reception. Even after that, we still recognize our sinfulness. That's why we always have a confession right after that opening worship set. I, we're we're praying, and it, hopefully, if you you've got a you got a pulse, and b you're spiritually attuned to what God's doing, you've encountered God and encountered God in some way, whether or not you like the song. But God is here, and you two are also here, and so maybe in that 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 mixture of what God is doing in that moment, you realize, oh my gosh, I do need to confess. I do need to get down. On my knees. I do need to acknowledge that though I am bound for that new creation, though I do taste the fruits of the new creation at the table every week, I still wander in this wilderness, and I need to confess the things that I've done wrong. The law is what tells us what we've done wrong. We need the law. It's good. It gives us boundaries. I love rules. Oh, and I'm so, I would, I would have been such a good Pharisee. I would have been so good about keeping the rules. And oh, but you got that rule, but you didn't do this or this or this or this. But it exposes our own sinfulness. It exposes our own hard-heartedness. And the reason Moses gave this law of a certificate of divorce was so that women would not be left destitute in that day. You see, a man could put away his wife for whatever reason he wanted. Now, there were two schools of thought in the, rabbinical, in the rabbinical lines after the law. One said that only if the wife or the husband committed adultery could the two split, and the other said, well, if the wife or the husband brought shame upon the family. But what I want you to hear tonight is that Moses gave the certificate of divorce in order to protect the woman. Does that make sense? It would be one thing for the woman to be put away for the marriage and for total and utter shame to be brought upon her for the rest of her days because she would be then destitute. She would not have a way to make a living. She would be rejected and exiled from the community. And even before Moses gave this law in Deuteronomy 24, in some cases... she would be killed. So because of the the hardness of heart of people, because of our own fickleness and brokenness, and in order to protect women, Moses gave the certificate of divorce saying that this is a valid breaking apart. This is a valid separation. So Jesus acknowledges that, but what does Jesus do? He says, Moses may have said that, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. The hardness of heart that results from our own sin, the hardness of heart that results from the fall, from Adam and Eve's sin, does not alter the divine intention. So Jesus says, be that as it may, it doesn't change the reality that in creation... In the beginning, so the Pharisees almost appeal to the law, but Jesus appeals to what god 's design god 's vision. You, you may think of the, uh, the line "The Witch in the Wardrobe," and how Aslan knew all of the deep magic, all of the realities that God, when he created that land of Narnia and all of the earth Jesus takes the law of Moses and sets it aside to say, but from the beginning, God made them male and female. So let's read about this divine intention. In the beginning, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. It would be easy for Jesus to keep the standard, the human standard. It would be easy for Jesus to say, yes, that's what it is, and it's just messed up. And then there's a reality that, yes, we live in that brokenness. But Jesus, again, appeals to this divine intention. That in the beginning, he made them. Now, think of, I want you to think about this. He's speaking not just about divorce. He's speaking about marriage. He's speaking about community. He's speaking about what it means to be in relationship one with another. He's speaking about this creation narrative where God said it's not good for man to be alone, where God wanted to provide something for man and for woman together in this marriage. And so Jesus says he made the male and female to live in this covenant together. Now, for those of you who have experienced the scars and the ravages of divorce, whether firsthand or secondhand or or thirdhand or however, I want you to hear this. This is not a condemnation of you or the things that you've experienced. Jesus is trying to turn the Pharisees' focus and trying to bring our focus, all of us, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, single, married, divorced, remarried, etc., to the divine intention And what is this divine intention? It is community. It is life. It is one flesh. It is this divine thing. And that's why we talk about sex being very important and sacred within the bounds of marriage. And that's why we talk about marriage being between a man and a woman. Because that's how God created it. That's the invitation that he gives to us and that he draws us into. So no matter our brokenness, no matter what the hot-button issue of the day is, no matter what can be occupying our minds or social media, God lifts our gaze beyond eye level here. And he says, but in the beginning, God made them male and female. And the two shall become one flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And we're reminded that Jesus Though he could be the first to condemn. Though he could be the first to cast a stone. Though, as St. Paul says in Romans 8, who is it he that accuses or condemns God's people? Almost rhetorically. He knows that only Jesus could do it, but he says, but Jesus intercedes for us even now at the right hand of the Father. So remember that the one who's speaking these words is also the one to whom the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And they said, hey, the law says we got a stoner. Jesus draws in the dirt and says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Despite the hardness of heart, the brokenness that we have inherited from the fall, from the things done to us and the things that we've done, despite that, that does not alter God's divine intention in marriage. What therefore God has joined together let not man separate. Hmm. We've, we've been having classes at four o'clock, and last week we talked about sacraments. And the sacraments that Jesus has given us in the gospels are holy baptism and holy communion. But there are other sacramental things, and depending on your perspective, whether you're an Eastern type Christian, uh, and I emphasize Eastern Christian, not just Eastern, or a Western Christian, there, you know, for the Eastern Christians, anything can become a sacrament. Because anything can be filled with God's power and communicated to us as grace, but in the West there are other sacramental kind of things, and marriage is one of those things. That when a man and woman are joined together, that they do become one flesh, and it is a powerful mystery. In fact, that's the only place that the scriptures use the word, the, the Latin scriptures, the Vulgate that Jerome translated, use the word sacramentum for the word. Mystery when St. Paul in Ephesians 5 is speaking of marriage. There's a powerful mystery in God's divine intention. And so the disciples go inside with Jesus and they ask him further about it. And he says this Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And as she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I want you to hear that in the context of Herodias and Herod. Just because Herodias left Philip to climb the ladder of power and just because she may have filed a certificate of divorce doesn't mean that her now marriage to Herod Antipas was holy. Because she meant it for vile, or vicious intentions. There are times when marriages will be separated and where God can bring healing and forgiveness. There are times for the sake of someone's life. There are times on the grounds of sexual immorality or other reasons where marriages do that. And God can bring healing. God can bring forgiveness. But that doesn't disqualify a person for the rest of their life. I want you to hear that in the context of Herodias and Herod Antipas. Now, does that mean divorce should be taken lightly? Absolutely not. The hardness of heart that we have, that our society has, does not alter God's divine intentions. But there is goodness and there is forgiveness found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And people such as Herod and Herodias we're not pursuing that forgiveness. We're not pursuing that reconciliation. Quite the opposite. Not only does the hardness of our own hearts and our brokenness that results from the fall does not alter God's divine intention, but moreover, it doesn't change our need now to receive the gifts that God can give us. And we, we move forward again with these kids the children, first it was the little ones. Then later, Jesus takes the child and says, you gotta, you gotta receive a child, and if somebody receives the one I send, and now here's another kid, now it's not in Capernaum. Remember, we're in the, air, the region beyond the Jordan, a vast desert wasteland, and they were bringing him children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Wait a minute. The disciples, after hearing a jarring word from our Lord Jesus, resume their proper responsibility of prohibiting people from coming near Jesus. Remember the guy that cast out the demon in Jesus' name and in Jesus' power? What did they try to do to him? Jesus, teacher, this one cast out a demon in your name. They tried to prohibit them. And again, we find the disciples abusing their authority. Keep the kids away. But what happens? Jesus, Jesus wasn't just upset. He was indignant and says, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Children can receive freely. Children can trust freely. Freely. And Jesus wants to not only protect that, but to use their position of powerlessness in this society as an objective lesson to show the disciples and to show each one of us that unless you are in a place of total receptivity, you can't receive the kingdom of God. Unless you're in a place of receptivity, you can't hear my teaching Remember when Jesus said, unless someone eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they will not inherit eternal life. And many of his disciples found this as a hard saying and did not follow him anymore. The innocence and the eagerness to receive characterizes children. Rather, for adults, we mark ourselves by achievement. But what we can do Many of you have multiple degrees, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, too, have many degrees. This is not a confession. But we like to achieve. We like to amass and show and give markers and signals of our worth. But the kingdom of God is very different than that. The kingdom of God is something that is Given, Just like the divine intention of what marriage is, this beautiful gift, no matter what we've done to it or how we've experienced it, it is still a gift of God to be enjoyed richly. All things can be a gift of God given to us to enjoy richly. St. Paul says, and Jesus says, you have to be like a child to receive the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus clearly has a very conspicuous concern for the children, knowing their powerlessness and knowing how just as women could be put off in that culture, and just as Moses wanted to protect them so that they could continue with their lives and remarry, Jesus knew how even worse children were treated in that time. I read some, some contemporary literature. You don't even want to hear how people spoke of children and some of the intentions people had for children. But Jesus <laughs> focuses his time on them, welcoming them to himself. Blessing them. We can imagine what he prayed for them, knowing what was about to happen as they would become adults in the nation of Israel some 40 years later, how Jerusalem would be laid bare, the temple destroyed. But God has divine intentions and gifts that we are to receive. Where does that leave us? All of us have this brokenness, this this scar of sin. And for many of us, we feel those scars more acutely, especially when it comes to divorce. But I want to remind you that the forgiveness that Jesus gives to us is something that we have to receive. It's one thing to acknowledge it and then set it on the shelf. Oh, wasn't that a nice gift that I got for my 17th birthday? Rather than to receive it and let it feed us day after day after day. It's hard, especially for adults, to picture ourselves as being as helpless as children. Because we can fend for ourselves, we can fight for ourselves, but in the kingdom of God, We have to remember that really without God, we are helpless. But when we receive his gift of life, when we receive his gift of community and goodness, he can fill us. He can remake us. He can take the wounds that we've experienced and the scars that have been put upon us. He can take our loneliness, our frustration, and our brokenness and the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit can remake those wounds. Friends, I don't know what God is doing here at St. Bartholomew's. It really is a mystery to me. It really is a sacramentum to me. But I look out and I see the beautiful and broken stories of people that God wants to be fully human. That God wants to bring into the image and likeness, not only of his son, but of who he made you to be. But I know a large part of what God is doing here has to do with us receiving from him grace upon grace. Because Jesus is the word that became flesh, that dwelt among us, and in him we have seen the fullness of grace and truth. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us no matter what we thank you for redeeming us no matter what and lord we thank you for these difficult words of jesus and we thank you for the redemption and the forgiveness that is that is available and we pray that we'd receive of you this night of your power hmm. lord thank you that you're not trying to test or trap us in the same way that the pharisees were trying to test and trap jesus But instead, you're calling us to follow you. (laughs) We acknowledge that we follow you to the cross, but on the other side of the cross is resurrection, new creation, and new life. We pray that that hope would mark us in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.